Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. I am Jerry Prokopovich. Over the past 10 years, we've talked with many authors about their books on this show, but we've never directly faced the question every reader asks sooner or later, where do books come from? Our guest tonight should know, as he's written or edited close to a dozen on 19th century American history and is currently at work on a political biography of Ulysses S. Grant. Professor Charles Calhoun joins us tonight for a discussion of the birds and the bees of making books on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. 
And welcome to the show. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you, as always, from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. It is a uh, dark Wednesday evening in November 2013 as we uh, move into the end of the fall semester. Uh, And though I am speaking to you from East Carolina's building and using their telephone, not speaking for the university and not representing ECU, nor will my guest do so either. We're all speaking for ourselves tonight, as always. Well, first, say for listeners who are uh, anticipating a discussion of the book General Grant and the Rewriting of History by Frank Varney, uh, I learned uh, late last night that uh, Professor Varney had uh, was recovering from oral surgery and unable to uh, to speak clearly. He, he thought he would be healthy enough to do the show tonight, but it turned out otherwise. Uh, he wrote to me, uh, it says, my wife says I sound like Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island with the whole clenched teeth thing. And I can just hear uh, the millionaire saying, lovely, I had the worst nightmare. I dreamed I was a Yale man. And uh, I can certainly, as a Harvard man, appreciate that sentiment. Um, and there's our weekly mention of the Harvard degree that we, we try to get in every week here on Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, but uh, Professor Varney will be with us in January. Uh, we've rescheduled that. And uh, I'm very happy to say that we have uh, a, a – well, I won't make any invidious comparisons, but we have one of the country's uh, world's leading experts on Ulysses S. Grant tonight – uh, to talk about uh, Grant and other topics. Before going to that, uh, I know listeners always eagerly tune in to hear what fresh hell has broken out in the North Carolina educational system. And this week, it's the uh, uh, State Historical Records Advisory Board, a nonpartisan group of historians and archivists who uh, do things like organize a traveling archivist project and prepare uh, various ways to preserve and document what's happened in North Carolina's past. Uh, One of my colleagues here in the department at East Carolina University, uh, Karen Zipf, has been a member for the past six years, two terms on the board. Uh, There's another member of our Joiner Library uh, belongs to that board. Uh, Dr. Zipf discovered her term expired in October, and she and another long-time member, discovered they'd just been replaced. The governor, without telling anyone, sent a list of new members. And two young men who apparently work in banks uh, somewhere in the middle of the state have been appointed to replace them. These people are, are not anyone I know. I won't give their names, but their qualifications are such that if you Google them, you don't find anything uh, if you Google, Google their name with a PhD, you certainly don't find anything because they apparently have no qualifications or don't don't seem to have any qualifications to serve on a technical uh, archives board. But if you don't believe that it matters whether you actually know anything or not and that anyone can be a historian, if you've read a book, you're in, then why not replace professional historians and archivists with political cronies uh, that seems to be the thinking. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on this uh, latest uh, step in the race to uh, emulate Mississippi or surpass it uh, in the, uh, toward the bottom of the American educational heap. Uh, 
well, I've complained enough. You hear it every week. Uh, one day I'll be the only person talking. My mother will be listening. It'll be the two of us. And uh, the rest of you will uh, have, have given up in frustration. But I hope not, not too soon because we have some great shows coming up. Next week is Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll take the week off and enjoy it all with our families. But on December 4th, Eric Jacobson from the Franklin, Tennessee Battlefield Organization will join us. He has written uh, a book that I have it's both one of the hardest to find and one of the best battlefield books, battle accounts that I've read in a long time. Uh, on December 11th, James Oakes will be with us to discuss Freedom National, the destruction of slavery in the United States. Then we'll take our winter hiatus, but we've got all kinds of folks coming up in January. Frank Varney will rejoin us. Uh, Christopher White will be talking about uh, I think we have the second battle of Fredericksburg or maybe Chancellorsville. He's written a lot. Uh, we've got uh, oh, uh, uh, an interesting new book just coming out on the Gettysburg Address and the, the many copies of it that Lincoln wrote and trying to track down which is the real Gettysburg Address, the one he actually spoke 150 years ago yesterday. Uh, that's Martin Johnson, the author of that. He'll be with us in January. Uh, hope to have uh, uh, various others uh, lining up. So, so stay with us. I won't complain about politics too much as it affects our educational system, and we'll just make history ourselves instead. Stay abreast of all this at www.impedimentsofwar.org, the Civil War Talk Radio Companion website. And buy your books there. Uh, if you click on the Amazon link to the books on the show, uh, it helps contribute to the upkeep of the website and the downfall of your wallets. I got several emails complaining this week about how much money people were spending on the books they'd heard about on the show. And to that, I just say, aha, the plan is working. Uh, that's, that's what we're hoping you'll do. Well, tonight, uh, usually we talk uh, with an author about a book that they've just published. But tonight we're going to go uh, ahead of things and talk to an author of many books, but who is currently working on one that is not yet published, and talk a bit about the genesis of historical scholarship uh, on Civil War era topics. Uh, our guest tonight is Professor Charles W. Calhoun of East Carolina University. Uh, my neighbor down the hall and uh, friend and colleague, but also the author of numerous works, uh, pulling the stack off my shelf here, I see From Bloody Shirt to Full Dinner Pail, Transformation in Politics and, of Politics and Governance in the Gilded Age, uh, Minority Victory, Gilded Age Politics and the Front Porch Campaign of 1888, uh, Benjamin Harrison, a biography of someone you know nothing about if you're like me, but will enjoy reading about. And uh, most significantly, Conceiving a New Republic, the Republican Party and the Southern Question, 1869 to 1900. Uh, these are all came out in the last few years. It seems one every, every year, an astonishing output. And uh, Dr. Calhoun is at work on, uh, on a new book on the I said it was a political biography, but I think the presidency of, of Grant is a more accurate description. Uh, Chuck, are you there? I am here, Jerry. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for filling in at short notice when our, our guest couldn't make it. And 
Well, thank you we, for inviting me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be invited into the charm circle of Civil War Talk Radio. Well, it is an elite group, uh, as as you know, because I tell you that every week, and uh, uh, delighted that, that you can be part of it. Um, for our guests, uh, I I know your backstory in a way that I, I don't with other guests usually, because we've known each other for the last ten years here. Uh, but tell us a little bit about how you came to be interested in uh, American history. Well, uh, I, I will start off by saying that uh, as a Yale man, I did not take too much umbrage <laughs> at your comment about um, yes. the Cambridge Institution. But I, I would have to say it was at Yale that I uh, first became very interested in, in history. Uh, well, in making it my life, shall we say. I've always been interested in history, but uh, I had some excellent courses there. And uh, uh People wonder, well, why late 19th century American politics? And I have to say, as so many of us do in this game, uh, there was a particular professor who uh, taught a course that I took that really um, opened up so many things for me, uh, not only about the past, but about writing about the past. This was a man named Hal Williams, uh, who later went down to uh, Southern Methodist University as chair there and was eventually, uh, I think, uh, uh, vice uh, chancellor, provost, or uh, dean of the graduate school, all kinds of important positions, but uh, uh, a model historian, really, and a model teacher. And uh, I wrote some essays in his class that really sort of told me, you know, this is what you should be doing with your life. And uh, I'd actually, <laughs> my senior year, planned to go to uh, law school and was admitted and everything, but, but changed my mind. Unlike you, who did, in fact, go to law school, uh, I uh, I made the uh, wise decision before uh, plopping down any money to the University of Chicago and uh, and then uh, went to graduate school at Columbia. So you, you saved three years and a, a few thousand dollars that way. So now you're writing currently uh, about Grant. You've written about the the post Civil War era. And uh, when I asked you uh, this morning about being on the show, you reminded me that. You don't write about Grant's military career particularly. Uh, what in broad terms is the scope of the book that you're working on now about Grant? This is a book on the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. Um, as many of your listeners probably know, the University Press of Kansas many, many years ago launched a series uh, on um, the presidency, uh, one book uh, devoted to each presidency or presidencies, uh, occupied by um, uh, a single individual. In cases where people um, succeeded to the presidency, I think you have two presidents in, in a volume. But um, Fred Woodard, who was uh, director of the press and now is senior editor there, uh, who's done a brilliant job, I think, of managing that press and, and publishing a list that really, um, I think, is a great service to the historical profession because he does do so much in political history and, and military history. Um, but it was his idea originally, and he is general editor of the series. And uh, a few years ago, he asked me if I would do this book on, uh, on the Grant presidency. And uh, I have to say, I was, I was uh, honored to be asked and pleased. Uh, but Grant had always occupied in my mind a... Uh, a special place, I suppose you could say. Uh, I've, as you were reading off some of the book titles, uh, I, I've sort of devoted 
my scholarly career to studying the Republican Party in the late 19th century, sort of 1865 to 1900. And um, I can remember when I first launched the research for other books, including Conceiving a New Republic, um, that I, I found myself keeping a file separate, and it was labeled Grant. And this was long before I had any idea that I would ever be writing a book on the Grant presidency. But there was something about this man and his impact uh, on the political life of the late 19th century that caught me. And um, lo and behold, that that little file now expanded uh, (laughs) enormously, shall we say, uh, 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 was sort of the germination of my uh, rumination about... uh, uh, about Grant, but uh, so I've I've been interested in him a long time, and uh, as you say, I'm not a military historian, but I do try to draw some connections between style of leadership during the the war and and what became later uh, in the presidency. I think one of the problems that uh, historians who've written and biographers who've written about Grant have is is somehow reconciling. Um, the, the two halves of, of this re- remarkable career uh, that, uh, you know, how did, how did this great general become a president who's, who's some would say, less than great? Um, and I think the simple fact of the matter is that there was no lobotomy after uh, Appomattox. Uh, the Grant um, had lots of talents, in, obviously, in the war, uh, those talents didn't suddenly melt away when he became president. What he did find that it was that he had to adjust them uh, to um, the new circumstances and the new problems that he confronted. But uh, but he w- he still uh, had uh, substantial uh, ability, and, and uh, uh, it stuck with him uh, again in a new set of circumstances. Um, so. Uh, Grant has has occupied a, you know an important part of my research for a very long time in conceiving a new republic. Uh, there are you know, a couple of chapters I think devoted to um, reconstruction uh, reconstruction issues, um, uh, race issues, and so forth uh, during his term, and, and uh, it goes on to the end of the nineteenth century. But obviously, uh, he's very important in the first part of the book. Well, that I've, I can think of a number of follow-up directions to take from that and what I think we'll do is take a short break and ruminate over this but uh, I'm curious about the uh, you mentioned the low ranking of Grant as a president and and the question of where that stands and also the idea of uh, keeping a file as you go and and coming up with a new book when you're done Uh, these are all directions we'll explore in our our second segment we're going to take a short break now our guest today is Charles W. Calhoun author of Conceiving a New Republic The Republican Party and the Southern Question among many other books I'm Jerry Prokopovich we'll take a short break and be back with more of Civil War Talk Radio Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to the show. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Chuck Calhoun. We're talking about his forthcoming book on the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, standing in tonight for Frank Varney uh, and his book on General Grant and the Rewriting of History. We had to reschedule that due to a health issue. We'll have Dr. Varney back here in January. Uh, but in our first segment, we were talking about how one uh, comes to write about any topic, in this case, uh, Grant. Uh, Chuck, you mentioned the idea of having a folder uh, uh, on the side of uh, and collecting things. And I thought that was interesting because uh, David Soselsky was on a couple weeks ago, and he's written a new book on Abraham Galloway, uh, uh, an escaped slave. And he said exactly the same thing when he was writing the Waterman song and other doing research for that and other books. He kept coming across this guy Galloway, and he just started a folder for him. And by the time he'd finished one book, he had this four-inch thick folder of references to someone he'd never heard of when he started. Obviously, you'd heard of Grant when you started, but it sounds like that process uh, can can really take a historian from one book to the next. Let me, are you keeping a folder on anybody else right now? Um, not really, uh, although I do, I do have an interest in the Congress um, and uh, have uh, been thinking of doing, uh, in fact, I was thinking of doing this and actually had started some of the research before Fred asked me to do this book uh, on the 51st Congress, which was uh, the Congress from 1889 to 91, known as the Billion Dollar Congress, the first time Congress spent a billion dollars, one of the most activist Congresses in the, uh, in, in, uh, the 19th century. Um, 
we have we have a tendency to think you know nothing happened in government in that period and actually this was an amazing uh, uh, Congress for for the uh, um, achievements that that it uh, that it racked up um, and in the next election uh, the party in power the Republicans lost overwhelmingly because 19th century Americans didn't think government should do very much which we hear some echoes of today I, sh- I suppose we should say um, but um, uh, yeah I mean you know I think that's the way we operate. Uh, there are things that uh, sort of grab our attention and we're involved in a project and we think, you know, there's something that I might want to explore down the road. Uh, so you sort of tuck things away, and uh, both physically and in the back of your mind as well. as uh, You know, you, you think about them when you're running in the morning or whatever. So where are you doing the research for the, the grant project? Well, the... the uh, as, as most of your listeners are probably aware, the, the series uh, at the University Press of Kansas, um, lots of the books are based on secondary sources with some, with some um, original research. But I came to this project with, with the notion that um, with Grant, with Grant's presidency, there, I, I didn't think that the, there was much of a secondary literature that I cared to to rely on uh, to um, assemble uh, an understanding of the Grant presidency. Um, the books focused on the presidency itself are, are amazingly uh, few. Uh, Alan Nevins uh, wrote his book uh, about Hamilton Fish, the Secretary of State in the 1930s, uh, and, and the subtitle being The Inner History of the Grant Administration. Highly negative about Grant and Fish is the hero. Um, William Hesseltine, uh, in the same series that Alan Nevins edited, um, wrote a book called uh, Ulysses S. Grant, Politician, uh, but same era. And both of those books were, were quite negative about Grant. Hesseltine, not quite as much. They were written at a time when uh, the view of the late 19th century, uh, from the 1930s when they were written, was quite jaundiced and... and um, uh, historians uh, had had a really negative uh, notion about about the period. Many still do, as a matter of fact. But uh, um, other books, have, another book that's been written fairly recently, Frank Scaturro, uh, President Grant Reconsidered, the thin book. Uh, Mr. Scaturro is is a uh, is a, a stalwart uh, defender of Grant as president. He also, incidentally, uh, is a stalwart defender of Grant's tomb and indeed led the uh, effort to get it uh, refurbished and cleaned up and has done wonderful work in that area. Um, and uh, Josiah Bunting has the uh, book on Grant in, in Arthur Schlesinger's President series. Um, but but generally speaking, um, in biographies about Grant, the presidency plays a, uh, a pretty uh, minor role. It's, it's something that biographers feel they have to get through after the after the wonderful war years. Uh, and um, so I have felt that without uh, secondary literature to really be of much help, that I, I felt really compelled to do as much original research as, as I could. So I, uh, for any grant scholar, of course, today, the, the beginning point is the published papers of Ulysses S. Grant uh, from... Um, Southern Illinois University, 
uh, edited for most of its uh, volumes, nearly all of them, uh, by John Y. Simon, the late John Y. Simon. Uh, a truly uh, amazing um, editing job, I think, not only because virtually every every word Grant uh, wrote uh, finds a, a place in that uh, in that uh, series of books, but uh, also they did a wonderful job of having uh, incoming correspondence as well, and 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 uh, really you, you you see the conversations going on and ancillary materials. Just just a terrific source. Um, H. W. Brands has a new book out, and, and quite frankly, uh, Brands relied quite heavily on on the uh, on the published uh, volumes, and and that was. To his credit, but I think what I have discovered is that there's really a lot more. Um, another sort of starting point is um, the collection of grant papers at now housed at Mississippi State University, the Ulysses S. Grant Association, which used to be at Southern Illinois. Um, as, as John Marzalek, the uh, director of that organization, likes to point out, um, it's sort of one-stop shopping in the sense that virtually all, not quite all, but virtually all of the collection housed at Mississippi State is um, uh, copies, photocopies, transcriptions of material elsewhere. So for grant scholars, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an important stop on, on the trip to, uh, uh, to uh, um, look at original, copies of original materials that, that are housed uh, elsewhere. But I have gone to lots of other places as well. Um, the Babcock papers are at uh, the Newberry. Uh, um, sometimes you, you you sort of get lucky and uh, you come across a uh, a collection. I like to refer to these as boutique collections. They're they're sort of pointed collections dealing with maybe just a, a small aspect of of the administration, but they're they can be amazingly uh, enlightening about that aspect. And uh, last, uh, last uh, January, I went up to the Naval War College to, to give a talk about Grant. And um, the, uh, uh, I knew that at the University of Rhode Island, there was a collection of uh, the Raymond H. Perry papers. And I had been uh, uh, thinking of... of uh, Looking at those papers, trying to find a way to get up there, and, and fortunately, I was able to combine these two trips, and and it really uh, uh, was well worth it. And, and so these things are dotted around uh, the uh, Ebenezer Rockwood Hoar papers at the Concord Public Library in Massachusetts. And I've tried to I've tried to just scour, uh, you know, everywhere because it seems to me that, that there's so many controversies about Grant that I, I uh, one lust after any scrap of information that will shed a little bit more light on um, the questions at hand. Grant, as, as, uh, as, uh, as many of your listeners, I'm sure, are aware, was, was obviously during the war, he wrote a lot, uh, his reports and orders and so forth. Um, after the war, the writing trails off significantly, so um, it, is, it is necessary to, to supplement uh, um, his own writing uh, in, in other ways, and of course the Library of Congress is is really indispensable. I mean, there's so many papers, collections of Grant's associates there. 
Hamilton Fish's papers are there. Hamilton Fish kept a diary of the administration, and uh, uh, so you get really good information about the uh, uh, primarily the uh, the foreign relations aspects of the administration, but also domestic uh, matters as well, because Fish did a pretty faithful job of recording what went on in cabinet meetings and. And you, you really can get some insight into Grant's personality in, in, in Fish's diary. Filtered, of course, through Fish's own personality. They were, they were different sorts of men. Um, uh, and I think, I think that Fish uh, may have pulled his punches to some extent in, in writing most of his diary. One wishes that he would sort of uh, let go occasionally and, and give us a little uh, fuller... Um, Opinion of the president than he than he is apt to do usually, but uh, but it's 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 indispensable. And there's so many other collections at, at Elsie as well: uh, Democrats, Republicans, other cabinet members, people in Congress, editors, all kinds of people. When we were talking this morning about doing this, uh, you mentioned one of the you know hazards of, of talking about a book about a book that isn't uh, fully written yet is uh, that, you know, if you go to a boutique collection and find something that no one else has come across, uh, you may not want to spill the beans early. So I thought of asking you, like, what's the one thing you don't want to talk about yet? I'm ask you, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I do well, want to ask I, you. You know, when we, after we got off the phone, I thought uh-huh. uh, of the old Orson Welles ad for Gallo Wine, we will sell no wine before it's time. So uh, Exactly. Yeah. So we'll, but, but let me ask you this, because I, I was teaching uh, an essay in documentary editing in a public history class this week, and the author talked about the relationship, uh, I think she was with the Emma Goldman papers, that she, she, she felt she had developed with the subject of her study over a course of a lifetime. Um, do, you, what, do you like Grant at this point in your research? Do you feel any kind of connection or... I think it's Emotional inevitable response. that you that you do feel a connection with with the subject. Uh, I, one, you know, you you have to historians have to resist becoming you know an advocate after the fact. I think um, Grant Grant can disappoint. There's no doubt about it. As president and as a man, I think you know he, he could be petty. Uh, he could he could. Uh, uh, operate in a way that you think um, may not have been appropriate or, or um, generous to the people he was working with. Um, there's, there's, and and he, he, could, he could hate. Uh, he, could, uh, he could hold grudges. The, uh, the, uh, uh, when he ran for president in 1868... Uh, Salmon Chase was uh, considered a possibility by both. Well, Chase would have taken a nomination from just about anybody, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, for a while, maybe Republican nomination. Then he decided, well, maybe I can get the Democratic nomination. Of course, he got neither. But but uh, but uh, he wasn't particularly kind to to Grant in in in, in, uh, in aspiring to the president. When when it was clear that Grant was going to be the man, but uh, but when he died uh, uh, as Chief Justice, 
1873, uh, Hamilton Fish prepared a uh, a, uh, a proclamation, as as would be the you know, president would issue the same with the official mourning and such, etc. And Fish included a couple of lines about uh, all the great contributions that uh, Chase had made to the country, and Grant lined through those comments, <laughs> and wow. they did not appear in the in the uh, proclamation. And you think, oh, gee, that's kind of petty. But on the other hand, uh, and this is important, on the other hand, Grant was at bay through much of his presidency uh, from people who didn't like him very much uh, and really didn't play very fair. And, I, and, and uh, I'm thinking here primarily of Charles Sumner and Henry well, Adams, who were, who were highly, highly critical uh, of him, uh, often without justification, and I think Grant felt felt really uh, sometimes beleaguered uh, under the uh, assaults of people like Sumner on the floor of Congress, floor of the Senate, Henry Adams in in uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, North American Review and other venues. That, uh, uh, the thing is, Chase though was was an easy guy to feel that way. I. I'm forgetting who said it. it. Might have been David Davis said that uh, Chase was the only man he thought Abraham Lincoln really hated. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I mean, Chase was really hard to get along with. Yeah. So well, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Grant's pettiness and lining through that those words is a little more understandable if right. uh, uh, if when you're talking about Sam and Chase, but still a fascinating uh, character and a. a a, a difficult set of circumstances that Grant had to deal with. We're going to take another short break now, and we'll come back in uh, uh, another minute or so and talk more about the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. Our guest tonight, Chuck Calhoun, uh, fellow professor here at East Carolina University, uh, author of a forthcoming book about the Grant presidency and author currently of many books on 19th century political history. We'll be back with Dr. Calhoun in a few minutes on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. 
visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to the show. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking tonight with Charles Calhoun, Chuck Calhoun from East Carolina University, uh, author of numerous books on the political history of the post-war era in the United States, currently at work on a uh, history of the presidency of U.S. Grant for the series from the University Press of Kansas. I'm sure many listeners are familiar with the Lincoln volume in that series by the late Philip Paladin. Uh, that is, uh, was one of the formative books for me when it came out in the 1990s and shaping uh, what I uh, was learning about uh, Lincoln in that era. And uh, I'm sure, Chuck, that your book will uh, live up to the, the high bar that has been set by uh, some of your predecessors in that series. I wanted to ask you uh, about Grant uh, and his presidency. You mentioned a number of books that have been written about Grant. Uh, there's also books about books about Grant. Uh, Joan Waugh's book right. uh, on the memory of U.S. Grant points out that he was at one time you know, easily the most famous living American. Uh, his funeral was you know, huge beyond measure. The, the Grant's tomb was his, a national spot. And then it all went away. And Grant's reputation as a, a president certainly fell uh, almost as far as it could. Grant's tomb was essentially abandoned to neglect. Uh, and now we seem to be experiencing something of a renaissance of Grant studies or, or uh, Reconstruction-era studies. Do you see that happening? And, and if so, what's going on? Well, I think there is uh, definitely a, a renaissance of of, uh, of studies of the period. Um, of course, Reconstruction has been revised, you know, since the late 20th century or mid-20th century, really. Um, and, and Grant's reputation as one who um, uh, used his presidency and his presidential powers on behalf of the former slaves, uh, his reputation for that action has, has certainly risen. And, and that's, that, I think, is a big part of the rehabilitation of, of Ulysses S. Grant. And... Um, the uh, so so I I do think that that people are giving the presidency of Grant a second look. Um, the uh, the Brands book out I think the subtitle is something like the man who saved the Union and and he emphasizes it wasn't just in the war but also as president that he saved the Union. So there, there's definitely a a a more favorable opinion of Brand, of Grant coming in uh, recent works and, and some not-so-recent works. Um, uh, 
what I hope to guard against, however, is 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 taking that too far. Uh, I'm I'm trying to be. Um, you know, objectivity in history is, is, you know, something we we never really achieve, um, mm-hmm. and it may not even be the most worthy of goals in in the whole profession, in the whole enterprise. Uh, but I I do think that perhaps some things have gone um, beyond the research, and that's again coming back to the research I've been doing. I wanted to make sure that I touched, uh, you know, virtually all the bases that I could, and. Uh, um, uh, question not only the old view of Grant, but the new one as well. Um, I'm thinking uh, now of um, uh, the great Princeton historian, Sean Wilentz, who's, I think, doing a book not so much focused on Grant, but on the period. But he has, he has in more than one place that he thinks Grant was the greatest, period, the greatest president of the late 19th century. And, in fact, he probably was. In, in... The competition's not too yeah, high. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but but um, uh, but but he also said, and, and maybe in the whole of American history, and and um, mm. I remember in uh, in uh, uh, Gene Smith's book on Grant uh, talking about the uh, the uh, veto of the uh, inflation bill in in the spring of 1874, referring to this as a seminal act, and it was important, but I I. I don't think we should be carried away with with the with the um, impulse to rehabilitate uh, for rehabilitation's sake. Um, Grant is worthy and important enough to be revisited uh, just for that reason, because he is important, not not because we're, we're going to you know sort of change the dynamic and and all of a sudden say everything bad, bad that was alleged against. Uh, Grant is is hooey and and uh, he's really you know the greatest thing since sliced bread. I I, I think that um, you you have to be uh, you have to do this on an even keel. I think and and um, I've I've tried to immerse myself in the in the sources. Uh, um, but you know as I was saying earlier, the uh, his enemies. Some of his enemies were, were really so unreasonable and so unattractive that you do find yourself rooting for him against mm-hmm. them on occasion, uh, more than one occasion. So, um, but I, I hope I'm making myself clear that I, I'm trying to be balanced in, in the approach <laughs> rather than just, uh, um, you know, join this sort of bandwagon effect. Of, well, we're going to we're going to we're going to boost this guy's rankings. If they deserve to be ra- uh, boosted, great. Well, let me ask about the research. Um, I'm curious uh, about the techniques you use. Uh, I don't think anybody, or almost nobody, still carries index cards around with them when they go to the archive. Um, do you use a particular note-taking program? Do you just write stuff down? How do you capture information when you go to Library of Congress or Mississippi State or somewhere? Well, I, I suppose I'm a little old-fashioned. I don't. I don't. I, I probably have note cards with me just for jottings. But, uh, but uh, you know, I, I use a computer and take notes more or less as one used to take notes on, on note cards, I suppose. Uh, and then I do print them out. Um, uh, I uh, 
I, I have to say that photocopying is, is something I do a great deal of. Oh, of course, now you can you can do these things. You can sta- scan things and put them into your computer, and then you have them. Uh, the Library of Congress, many, well, early 20th century, began putting collections, pasting letters into books, these huge volumes, and you cannot photocopy them. Uh, and so if you wanted the material, you had to laboriously... Uh, uh, take notes on them, but now with with scanning, you can scan them, and then you have actually a, a photograph of of the material. So, you know, I I I, I don't use a a particular program to to take notes. Uh, I suppose I got my start in this racket long enough ago that um, uh, the methods that I devised then still serve me. I hope well. <laughs> I'm comfortable with them anyway. Uh, so. Um, that's what I do. And I, uh, these are the kind of questions Brian Lamb always asks, and I've always wanted to do it, never really gotten to it. When you're writing, do you, do you tend to write out a chapter, go back and revise it, work on it, or you know, tear through, get a chapter outline done, then do another one? Do you have the whole book framed out and then start doing it? What, what's your strategy? Well, the whole book is framed out in... in not in great detail. I mean, I know pretty much what each chapter is going to do. Although once you write them, you you realize you're you're massaging that a great deal. Um, I do write a chapter, um, and obviously, writing now and has been since the '80s is so much easier with computers. You you revise as you go along, really. Um, I'll be frank with you. I'm the sort of writer who doesn't like to leave a sentence until it suits me. Uh, I know that some people just dash something off and then go back and revise, revise. I guess I do both. I mean, I, I, I don't leave a sense till it suits me, and then once I have them all in a chapter, I read the chapter over, and then still, still marking it up and changing things. Um, but uh, it's 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 blocked out. Uh, sometimes the story takes on a life of its own uh, because of the research, and you find yourself. Um, going into areas where originally when you cast the outline you, you didn't think you'd be spending that much time or space on and and so you you make adjustments but uh, the overarching thing is is more or less in place well this you know ties in with what another thing you and I mentioned uh, earlier today the, the thought that when you're writing something uh, you know it's never done till it's done or it's, it's never even done after it's done because there's always the urge to revise. But the fact that ideas gel as you go, that you do research, you digest it, you think about it, uh, you put it on paper, but it's not it's not cast in stone at that point. You can come back and, and uh, uh, you know, a, as you uncover more sources or as you develop your right. ideas, you change your earlier ideas. So do you see that process working itself out here as well? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I... I still stumble across new collections and, and consult them and realize, oh, I need to, I need to make adjustments here, absolutely. And you know, as you write a later chapter, you realize, you know, I'm sort of taking an angle here that probably re- suggests that I ought to massage something I did in a previous chapter, um, and, and so forth. I mean, you know, this is this is again 
how nice it is to be able to write on computers because all these adjustments are made so easily, and you have a you have a clean copy on your machine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, without all these arrows and stuff on fool's cap and 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 so forth. And um, so uh, I, I I remember um, at an OAH OAH meeting, uh, oh maybe ten or fifteen years ago, a very well known historian uh, on a panel. I think actually it was led by Brian Lamb. Uh, and um, this person, the question was placed, uh, was put, how many uh, drafts do you normally produce? Uh, and this person said something like 93. And, and, I, and it sounded totally ridiculous, and I couldn't imagine what this person could have been thinking. But I think if, if, you, if you count as a draft, uh, you know, every time you massage a completed chapter uh, through the wonders of computing, uh, word processing, then maybe you do. You probably have do 93. 93. I don't think I've, I would never would ever print out 93 and work on no. them. But, <laughs> but uh, I thought it was a remarkable uh, uh, well, point. We have just a, a few minutes left. I want to ask a question that uh, I haven't asked on the show in a long time. The the uh, we called it the Civil War time machine, where I would ask uh, a guest if you could go back to the war era uh, for an hour in complete safety and then return here. Uh, who would you want to meet and why? And I want to ask you the same question, uh, other than Grant. Other than who Grant. would you go back? Yes. Hmm. If you could well, go back that, to, to your that, era, the post-war era as well. Yeah. Um, I think I would want to meet someone who could give me the most reliable information about Grant. <laughs> a, 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 a diamond-like laser focus on your subject. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. You know, I've written about other other men have been the you know sort of the central figures in my in my work, and I suppose each each time that that's the person I would want to see. But since you're you're eliminating Grant as a possibility here, uh, well, no, let me put it this Babcock. way: if, if, if you could go back and talk to Grant for for five minutes, what would you ask him? I would I would uh, I would try to be prepared to ask him about some of the charges against him. I mean, I, I, I could figure out the policies pretty well. Uh, I could figure out, you know, the, the, the basic outlines of, of what he was trying to do publicly. Um, but it's, it's uh, you know, the, he's a president. He, he occupies a position in our political lore. When we think about the presidency and we think about ranking the presidents, we know the position that Grant has held for many, many years, and we talked about earlier about that changing. Um, but nonetheless, the, the more deeply I get into the research, there, there are questions that come up that you know you really like to say, what was really going on with X, uh, with Orville Babcock, with why did you stick with Orville Babcock as long as you did? Uh, was he really a trustworthy aide? Um, you know, th- this kind of thing. Um, what did you really say to Jay Gould when you were talking about the gold market in New York? Um, you know, I don't want to give the impression that my book is going to focus on these on these negative elements in, in Grant's presidency, but but to do justice to the topic, one has to one has to um, 
touch upon them, and more than touch upon them, get into them as deeply as possible, uh, I think that uh, the larger story, the more important story, is what he did in the policy realm. And, uh, and, and that's, that's easier to get at, fortunately. Um, well, th- th- we'll be looking forward to reading about both of those. Uh, this book will be forthcoming from the Univers- University Press of Kansas, uh, hopefully next year in 2014, maybe 2015, uh, as, as the muse takes. Uh, but it will be out. I'm sure it will live up to your previous works. Uh, and listeners, you'll want to get a copy of the History of the Presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. When it comes out, you can put it on your Christmas lists for the year after this one. Uh, Chuck, it is uh, always a pleasure talking with you, and thank you so much for uh, uh, your very professional and uh, rapid fill-in this evening. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and thank you. Thank you. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.